What's up, Kim folk? What's good? I want to say, it's your boy. But it's not, it's your boy. <laughs> What's up, y'all? This is Mark Fields with the Kinship Collective, and we just exist to end othering. We're, we're ending othering. Right now, in this kind of world, it looks like one conversation at a time, kind of talking through some of the things that are going on that kind of prevent us from feeling like family. Like kinship. And so we think we get there through storytelling. And today we'll get to hear our guest, your brother and mine. We get to hear from uh, Big Harlan Redman um, and his story. And we'll look at um, a scripture from Luke chapter 10 um, based on uh, on his tweets a couple of weeks ago. And uh, so we'll just kind of use that as kind of a backdrop. But before we go anywhere else, um, let me share about this gentleman. I know him from days in Pasadena when I when I first moved to my city. Um, he was a person I wanted to get connected to because he was doing really hard work in a place that had been transformed and was transforming because of the values that he lives by. Um, and so I, I wanted to get to know him and I got to know his him and his wife who are both brilliant human beings and Harlan was continuing this work that had been started in front of him based on racial reconciliation. And so I had the honor of cutting his hair a few times and chopping it up and uh, getting to hear some of that journey of what it means to be a frontline kind of racial justice um, vanguard, somebody who's at the tip of that spear um, and putting himself in really tough spaces and places with people who don't understand him, but constantly trying to advocate and move the needle forward. So Harlan, I, I deeply respect you. I appreciate you. Um, Thanks, bro. Your voice. I, what I know, this is what I think about you. When I thought about this conversation, I just thought about the times in the conversations we've had and just the ways that, to be very particular and specific, the ways that I feel like the Sermon on the Mount just radiates through you. Uh, some of the the ethics of what it means to live into a new reality where the where the image of God and the and the divine spark and the beauty of every human being is honored. Um, so Harlan, that's that's what I think of you, but I'd love for you to share what you think of you and for people to kind of get a sense of who you are uh, and maybe some of your journey. Wow, I mean, where do you begin? I'm, I'm humbled by the opportunity to fellowship with you in this time and uh, thankful for your ministry and the work that you're doing and, and just shining a light in this dark space or spaces that we find ourselves in uh, as a society, as a country. And so I think that has always been the uh, burden of our people is, is shining light in dark spaces. And, and so uh, to continue that is, uh, I commend you for it. Um, Harlan, one second. I'm not supposed to interrupt you, but when you said the burden of our people, Jesus, man, we're supposed to get at least a couple minutes in before we get here. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? We will get a couple minutes in there. I got to write a note down about that because that's, that's the point of the convo because whose burden is it? And how do we, how do we, I'm sorry, sir. No, go ahead. Bill, no, no, I mean, free. bro, interrupt me. No, know. but we, but we need I'm to. I'm on, look, I'm we on need... your show. 
Oh man, yo. I'm on your show, Doc. No, um, yeah, I see the burden. I think you know, historically, um, ever since our people were brought here involuntarily, I think that uh, it's it's been a burden to represent the uh, authentic. Um, Christ for those who believe in Christianity and and an image of God and so and I think our people have carried that out um, faithfully um, many millions to their own detriment mm. and um, and we still find ourselves in that in that process um, and so, you know, truly, you know, I always say, you know, in America, you have this tale of two Christians. Um, mm. And we've had to um, play the role of, of the one who um, lives that out authentically, genuinely, and faithfully. Um, and, you know, I think there's something to be proud of in that. And there's this other side of where you just wish it didn't have to be. <laughs> um, but definitely, uh, our people have been faithful um, in 400 and something years of having to model authentic faith um, and mainly to endure the, the unimaginable. And so, hmm. To be, for us to be here today is a testament to the fortitude and the belief of the people who came before us. And that's something, something I'm proud of. Um, and, you know, 2020 has been an interesting year and we see, you know, other people doing the same thing in order to hold this country accountable and, and the hopes of repositioning us to um, collectively be authentic. And we're not there yet. And, you know, as Father Boyle would say, it's the slow work of God. Mm. <laughs> it's been moving real slow. Mm. Um, but it's a hope and testament to the people who, who get up every day and wanna see this country be better. Uh, and it's definitely uh, a sacrifice and a, a pain in the offering. But, you know, when people feel called to do something, it's that calling that brings them hope and mm. get up and do it to, you know, this despite their own, yeah. uh, or despite the wounds that inflict, uh, mm. people get up and do it. And, and that's a testament to their own faith. Um, not so much in a country, but faith in, in the God that they serve. And so um, it's just impressive, you know, um, and today is nothing new and our people have endured and, and have believed for centuries now, so. Mm. You, um, you mentioned about the sense of, of call. I, I mean, in quarantine and in, uh, as we've seen just the, 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 the multiple deaths of black folks at the hands of police. But I, I have, I've been, 
you know, when you said that sense of calling and who I know you to be a student of history. And like I said, on, on the front lines, I think about MLK. So I, I've just been reading a bunch of mm. MLK. Um, but for you, can you share about, because we've kind of glossed over and we don't quite know some of your background. I mean, a, a, a vet, a veteran, back to what I said about social justice, but your sense of call to that and how you understood it and how that call has kind of like, how you've lived that out in the seasons of marriage and, and how you've even kind of, you know, re it's not even repositioned, but, and what that looks like even now. Yeah. I mean, I think our, our calling itself takes on different levels, you know, as we grow and mature and, and God opens doors and closes others, uh, we find ourselves sort of doing the same work, just in a different direction or on a different plane. Um, and for me, you know, I think, maybe the southerner in me, you know, from New Orleans have always, um, always had a desire for community. Mm. Um, and I think joining the army at 17 allowed for me to um, have a diverse experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that desire for community to be more than just people who look like me was sort of, um, birth in me in that time and and then to you know get out of the military and and have an encounter with John Perkins and and seeing how he lived his life and and with a similar desire of wanting to be in community uh wanting to live an authentic faith that reflect the kingdom of God and work towards that uh I think that was inspiring to me definitely and can you, I want you, can you pause one second? Because I think there's something I think to be, something in me sparks when you say, when you went into the army, there became this, uh, this desire for what you call the authentic community. I think about Dr. King's, the beloved community. But I think about this because you came from New Orleans. <laughs> um, you know, ninth award dare yeah. I say? Mm -hmm. And, and so you've come from this position. And I guess for me, what's the what the thing is, you are always around your people, right? It was a sense of um, it was the place where you know, it, being you was like, it's just water, you're a fish right. within water. But it took that becoming a fish out of water in a system where you're like, Oh, whoa, what did so I share about how does how does that awaken in you? Because to be honest, I mean, every BIPOC, Black, Indigenous person of color. It's so funny, bro. I want to just keep on self-deprecating the the, the content. All, <laughs> all all twelve of the listeners right now, but um, all you know who are listening, we resonate with that feeling. We know what it's like to find yourself out of water. Yeah. And then to be like, yo, where the water at? <laughs> but so how did you wake up? You know, so you're in the army. That's a good question. Um, you know, it's interesting, man. I, I think one of the gifts and the military isn't perfect. You know, there's still resistance to change uh, in the military in a lot of ways. But the particular experience that I have that I think the military does well um, 
that the church communities could really uh, gain from uh, are people who want to do this work of reconciliation but are from different walks of life. I think the military embodies this people from all over the world um, coming together. So for instance, you know, you get a platoon of 60 people. Wow, I mean, that covers the globe. You know, I had a guy in my squad from Beijing, right? I had a, you know, for, from the islands, from from all over the country, and you're, you know, you volunteer to do this commitment, <clears throat> but but yet you have to go through the process, mm. and that process is what creates in you this uniformity. It creates in you this oneness. But that process, everybody doesn't make it through. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, there's some drill sergeants. They'll tell you day one, yeah, you're not gonna make it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, but what is that? What does that process entail? And and one of the things I think about when I was a soldier, so different in my life experience, is they literally train you to serve each other. You know, for example, um, the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is not make your bed. You have to make somebody else's bed mm. and not to not to your standard. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and it's interesting because I was I'll never forget, you know, they, they partner you off. They call it battle buddies or whatever, but they partner you off when you get there and I was partnering with this dude from Rhode Island and, and me being from New Orleans, right? And, and uh, two different experiences, bro. And I hated the way he talked. You feel <laughs> what I'm saying? I hated the way he talked. You know, we were cut from two different cloths. And I just remember having to get up at 4 a.m. And the first thing I had to do was make his bed, right? Mm. And to to not only to the military stand that it had to look better than mine, right? And so they start that process of day one of serving, uh, of not giving you that option of 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 getting out of the process. And drill sergeants who have been through uh, the training and have taken soldiers you know, months in and months out through this process, they already know what the outcome is. You get there, you don't know, right? And, wow. And so, but they know that I got about 12 weeks to get you to a place where you see this person next to you, you do anything for them. Mm. And, you know, I always use that as a metaphor in, uh, you know, race relations in America um so often the process uh people avoid and i think part of it is because there's a lot you got to put on hold in order to go through that process right you got to put your american dream on hold right you got to put there's a lot of things you got to put on hold in order to to love your neighbor as yourself to see to 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 see your neighbor as yourself and 
and that's the cost of it, right? right? That's the cost of it. You know, me me serving <clears throat> my battle buddy is time, it's commitment, mm -hmm. it's uh, it's um, it's putting your feelings aside, it's putting your all of your preconceived notions, right? You're you're tabling all of those things for this process. But what comes out on the other end is truly something of a miracle. Mm. Uh, but it's something that is bonded and sealed. And, you know, to this day, I can probably go into any state, multiple countries and, and you know, have a, a friend that I've established this process with and mm. be, treated, be treated like family. Uh, and that's a as, that's as a result of going through this process. And so, um, even in the, the years that I've done racial reconciliation stuff, I think a lot of people, um, well-intended, enter into this process. Uh, but I always use the imagery of like you know, we get on a plane together, and you know we're experiencing some turbulence, and and then I find out you having a parachute this whole time and didn't tell nobody, right? So you, mm -hmm. you were gonna make your escape mm -hmm. uh, just in case things went south. Um, but, you know, here I didn't got on in, in good fate. I don't have a parachute. <laughs> right. Uh, and I think a lot of the efforts, especially in the civil rights movement and, and, and people that have partnered in the struggle, especially you mentioned earlier about you hear this the idea of allies. Um, people have to be willing to go through the process first, and I think for people of color to see to to see people go through a process and whatever that process is. Um, Whoa, I, I think you you don't even you shouldn't trust anybody. <laughs> Until that takes place, because you're going to end up, I, I mean, this term is never usually used this way, but you, you end up unequally yoked with allies that um, they don't even have the fortitude to go the distance, right? Oh, my goodness. All right, hold, 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 time out, time out. Well, I think about, there's a couple of things that I feel like there's a couple, oh, man, there's so much that in the, in the past that you just said. <laughs> I think one thing that I want to go back to that you shared not to just to, I think, clarify, because you use the term for kinship collective. The point is to create a sense of kinship without uniformity that we can build. And I think that in the army, there probably is a sense of like, there is a level of uniformity. Yeah. You being paired with the guy you were paired with was probably intentional. It probably was like, oh, there seems to be a bunch of social distance between these two brothers. I will show you, you will become brothers. Um, and, but that process, this tried and true process of like, and if you don't become brothers, then you weren't supposed to be here anyway. And you right. didn't have back to what you said, that fortitude to do what we're, what we do here. Right. Um, but then I think about when you talked about, um, that, uh, the tried and true, that trustness, and you said like, you shouldn't trust anybody until they've put in. And I think about allies for like a lot of different marginalized people, whether this is a, LGBTQ, whether it's a person of color, I think about um, people who are differently abled or just, and then there's everybody wants to speak up on your behalf, 
Mm. But, but, but are you willing to pay a cost for that? And I think about the values that you used to live into on the corner there of mm. Howard and Navarro um, yeah. about relocation and how when you, and that, you know, that's that piece, even of, of Jeremiah the 29, you know, that piece of 29, seven, it's the non-parachute, get rooted. I'm not going anywhere. You know, when Jeremiah said, move into the, that place, move into, into the place where you're oppressed, hmm. marry your children to the oppressor's children. Hmm. Then you will be mutually invested. You will need things to go well with the oppressed. You will need things to go well with the marginalized. You will need things to go well with them because it will be, it's no longer about a nice little pretty pet project over there. Right. Now this is, that's, that's the solidarity piece because mm -hmm. when it goes well with you, then it's going well for me. And we, we both need this thing to go right. And so I, yeah. I think about some of those values of the relocation piece um, and redistribution of wealth leading to that reconciliation. But I, I appreciate what you, how you laid it out as that process. Cause I think back to that, that core question we talked about in pre-pro mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> about that, I think that's part of the rub when everybody says like, everybody wants to be an ally and we want to retweet and repost. But I think one of the underlying tones or maybe that sentiment that comes off to um, whoever it is and wh whoever the people group is that's, that's being marginalized in that moment right. is, wait, you, you don't, you're not invested in this. Like this, at the end of the day, like you can, you can, you can set your phone down and relax. And it's really interesting when you say that. Yeah, I mean, people are, I, I think, you know, it's important to give people the space to understand their own conditioning. And mm -hmm. if you grew up white in this country, you have a conditioning, whether it's conscious or subconscious. And I think at the heart of it, it's individualism. Right, so more than you know how to do anything else is, is put yourself first, mm. right? In all things, to put mm. yourself first in all <laughs> things. So uh, like a reverse scripture. Right, and, and, and I think that when it comes to good causes, um, things that you may even believe is right, um, you still have to combat that conditioning in order to do right by the people you feel called to serve. Uh, and most people, because they aren't aware of that conditioning, um, say the right things, have the best intent, but at the end, it's it's what they want to do. Um, and, but when you are, when you go through the process of um, not only becoming aware of that conditioning, but deprogramming it, you, you can willfully be an ally and do the things you don't want to do, right? And that's what the process is all about. Like the process is going through to where you get to the other side and you want to do the things you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't want to make, <laughs> I don't want to make somebody else's bed, right? I, I don't want to uh, uh, um, listen to uh, my neighbor or, 
you know, all of these things. I mean, there's a myriad of things we don't want to do. If you look at the state of this country, it's obvious, right? You don't mm. want to wear a mask. You don't want to, you don't want to do all of these things. And, and, and I mean, I think the whole mask wearing thing just shows the individualism. I mind you, there are some undertones of people distrust for government, but at the end of the day, it's you doing you. Um, but some people will take up causes still with that attitude. Um, and it's, you know, it ends up turning into uh, performative activism. And so, um, so yeah, man, I mean, bro, where do we said, go from there? I, I was thinking about when you said that about taking up uh, the performative activism, I was reading the article yesterday. Um, I could pull it up. I can't remember the name because the ideas were, it was this woman who was um, white, who was acting like she was like, uh, like South African, trying to be the, the, I don't know if you're familiar with this article, but the, the article, um, see, now I'm at the, I'm gonna pull it up because, and I'll probably put it in the notes because it, it talked about uh, not only the privilege to kind of step into that identity and then benefit off that identity because she wrote a book and then people were like they were they were flocking to it or whatever but then even she was found out and then it came out like a a confession where she was like you know what don't don't support me cancel me i did that da, 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 da. and even this kind of like show and i don't get to judge whether it's authentic or not about like a confession or um um ownership but even in that she was choosing she her privilege allowed her to choose how she could like she was even setting the terms of her cancellation it was like after oh, making man. all the money and it was you. yeah it was that, i'm gonna find it while the, you while you talk i i mean 2020 has been surprising us with stories like this i think you know we thought rachel dolazar was a one-off but we mm. knew other people kind of live in this life um the you mentioned the uh that that privilege that you have within even your sin um mm. and what's ironic is that part of the problem in this country uh from the top to bottom is that the oppressor gets to play judge and jury and I thought about that when you were describing how yeah. I mean, she was able to set the tone for her own demise. If yeah. if that uh, if yeah. that doesn't personify privilege, I don't know what does. That's like me. That, that's like me going before the judge, and the judge asks me, "Well, how do you feel about what kind of sentence do you want?" It's like you know, honest judge, I probably should go home right now. And <laughs> sound like when I'm talking to my babies, I'm like. Right. What, what right. should I do? Right. But, I, but I'm not really letting you in that moment. Right. But in these situations, you literally, you know what I mean? And yeah, you see so many people benefiting off of being black or some person of color, but the people of color benefit from it. It's an irony. Um, but it's obviously big business too. And so uh, I don't think it's anything new. Come on, man. That's but yeah. You know, we in this pandemic, a lot of light been shining in those dark spaces. Uh, <laughs> um, when you, 
you talk about big business and I was, I, I recently preached a sermon about um, Moses interaction with Pharaoh and for a long, you know, and I was, it was supposed, the sermon was supposed to be about, I was uh, charged to talk about this, when you wake up to an identity, some of the dissonance that happened within Moses. But as I kept studying, it was like, no, 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 this isn't about, this is about Pharaoh in this particular time for the church mm. and the inability back to privilege. And I'm saying all this, like, right. Pharaoh has so much privilege. He never, he couldn't even imagine the oppression of what it would feel like to just generations of slavery that is building the empire yeah. that, that you feel responsible for. Like he, he couldn't even smell it or, or, but that, and the, in this story is like, so I'm reading it, I'm smelling it. And then I'm like back to privilege. And then as a, as a person who's stepping in and out of different worlds or code switching, and it was like, how do I, like there's privilege in like, even when I say the word white privilege, it's like folks, yo, folks get like, there's so much privilege that you want to tell me not even to use the word privilege. <laughs> or I have to navigate around that because you're going to be triggered. <laughs> and then, but back to what you said, who's benefiting big business. So then I'm like, okay, then I, I go out and I grab white fragility because I never read it. I'm looking into it to understand some of the, the psychology. Yeah. And then wifey comes up and is like, yo, what's, what's the deal with this, this book you just bought? I said, well, uh, you know, I'm doing some research. Yo, you know how many black authors out there not getting read while this book gets bought up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, yeah. big business. I've even, read books. I've, I've even read books where People give an apology for writing a book that they about to make so much money from, uh, which is interesting too, you know. Um, Father Ball and I, um, the last time we talked, he said something that was so powerful because I, my mind wasn't in that sort of place of processing it this way, but he said, you know, people who, um, have these sort of issues of, of, of privilege or prejudice or racism. Um, he said, you know, you're not, you're not whole, W-H-O-L-E. Yeah, and, and I think that when we think of people, part of our struggle, the irony for people of color in this country, part of our struggle is trying to convey to the oppressors that, you know, um, their own inhumanity, right? You hold up the mirror to show them that you're, you're the actual animal in this story. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and all of this, honestly, as a, as a, a, a sacrificial offering for your humanity, not mine. Mm. We're the human beings in this story, right? The, 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 I don't know, by default, the, the gift we've been trying to get to you is to, to hope that one day you'll be whole, right? And I think that's been the story of our people. Yeah. Same with King, you know, uh, MLK and his graciousness would always sort of 
speak of whites with this inclusive language of, you know, our sisters and brothers. And, and you know, he would say something like, you know, we know that some of our white brothers and sisters, they're sick. Mm. Right. So wanting for them to be whole, wanting for them to be healed um, from their own inhumanity. And uh, and we see it play out <laughs> we, in the last four years. I feel like we've seen it play out. Um, this inhumanity sort of disguised as, as patriotism and, and, and other things. And so um, it's been an interesting dynamic to see play out um but it's it's also sad yeah so you said king was generous and he kept talking about their sickness and and by the way in my mind a couple of things that 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 happen is whenever i think of even in that in that sermon you know god's desire for liberation you know, like as I was reading this story and the plagues mm. and the the cosmic looting, I will destroy your economic system. Mm. Come on, you right. let the oppressed be liberated. Mm. And um, but as I kept reading, I kept sensing the compassion for the oppressed. And 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 this like it felt like I felt a newer sense of understanding that the oppressor was um enchained and enslaved also mm. and that back to what you said that the liberation it it frees but the gift that we're trying to give you humanity back privilege and ignorance you can't even see that right but but the but the work the work that i'm trying to do without a parachute <laughs> is like it, and, it, and I'm not doing it necessarily for you, but there will be an, uh, not necessarily an unintended consequence, but you will be liberated in the process. Should you be, should you wake up? Should you be liberated? And it, so you wrote this, this article about that, the disease that still remains. And you, it's yeah. kind of interesting. You did the same thing King did, Dr. King, in, in framing it in the context of this pandemic world. Yeah, I wrote that article because, um... You know, April 4th is the anniversary of, of King's assassination. Um, and when I s realized that, you know, we're in the midst of this pandemic, um, and yet um, because of where the virus COVID-19 came from, even Asian people saw this rise in um, you know, racial attacks. And, and so it just reminded me of how, you know, um, this virus has taken a precedent, but let's not forget that some people have to deal with this virus and hatred, mm. right? Some people have to carry both of those burdens. Like, I don't want to get sick and die from coronavirus, and I don't want to get murdered just for the color of my skin. Um, and so I thought about King in that sense um, and, and decided to write, and I wanted to write the article in a way where, you know, I didn't, I didn't have to mention the obvious, 
right? And so in calling racism a virus too, um, was that was just something new for me, but but it really helped my processing of what we were going through and and you know these these this curve of hatred that has never been flattened in this country and and, mm. and in the last four years one could say the the veil had been torn off of it, but it exacerbated in the last four years and so wanted to remind people of not having the privilege to fight. Uh, to fight just one thing. There's just so much, bro. Like, there's so much to talk about. I just feel like this is just convo one, I think, because we yeah. we didn't hear about really some of the, the nitty gritties of the work in Pasadena, um, the the invitation to Princeton, the work you're trying to do now, and the, even the ways that you see vocation now. Yeah, man, who knows where I'll end up, right? Who knows what direction I'll be in in, in six months. Um, but it's just a privilege, man. I, I, you know, I've had people who have uh, intervened in my life, um, all of my life. Um, mm. And so I've, um, I've always tried to pay that forward um, and God allowed for me an opportunity to serve in Northwest Pasadena um, which, you know, till this day is still sort of the highlight of, of, of my journey to be able to be in community, you know. So hopefully, hopefully I can get back to that at some point. Um, uh, we'll see. Not that I didn't, you know, I was doing that when it was just my wife and I. Now we got three kids. So I got a community to bring into a community. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that'll be somewhat new mm -hmm. um but yeah man it's just always been a privilege to to serve uh and and i think serving comes from our own understanding of our salvation and, and our own understanding of of no matter what we can do or, or give um, um to others it has first been given to us and i think the more you're able to embody that uh, there's things that you will do that you wouldn't originally want to do uh, out of that understanding. And so, and that's what, I mean, you look at Frederick Douglass and Gandhi and all these sort of folks, they've been asking, well, what God does white people serve? Because this isn't adding up. Mm. <laughs> this isn't adding up if you can do certain things to people, if you can say certain things to people, like it just isn't adding up and, and still name the name of Christ at the end of it. One of these things are counterfeit. And I think throughout history, our, our people have always, I, I say, you know, the, the, um, the Holy Spirit to decipher that, um, you know. So yeah, it's, where do we go from here? <laughs> well, that's what I, I mean, that's what I feel like, I think, um... You know, you you mentioned that that piece of of the of the trust earning of what does it mean to relocate? But I think um, um, that makes me pause because I'm like, yo, how does solidarity for me in this whole epi the epidemic pandemic, um, the ways that I was anchored back to this? What God do you serve? Mm -hmm. Is the fact that okay, okay, hold up. Jesus was a, an oppressed Jew underneath a violent, corrupt 
justice system and was lynched and brutally tortured mm -hmm. and, and never backed down. Back to like that choice to the choosing to participate piece, that incarnation, the piece of like the Philippians putting on flesh and, and casting aside privilege hmm. that it was, it was in my mind, I'm thinking of like, I'm trying to get the words for that. What does it mean to, in Jesus, there was a, a very, there was a dramatic relocating. Hmm. Um, abdicating of privilege mm -hmm. and then enculturating into this system in the midst of all of the racial injustice and um power dynamics of the middle east and in, in that time mm -hmm. i think about our armenian sisters and brothers right now right um but i think about that process for people now because i in this conversation it, it's just been like okay, well, it's been about bridge building and conversations and building empathy and all that. And that's true. But solidarity, back to what you said and what we said before, is that when my, I think about my healing is tied to your healing, your healing is tied to my healing. That's the true kinship of togetherness. And there is no like parachute. I don't have a parachute. If it doesn't go well for Harlan, it's not going well for me. And I'm I'm just trying to think of like, because there is, I mean, it's, fun it's funny, as I thought about this conversation, it is very simple. And it is terribly impossible. <laughs> but it's, it's simple. That's, that's as real. all get out. That's real. I mean, yeah, you sort of, you hold those two things in tandem, right? This, you know, every now and then the scale can, can lean towards impossible. Uh, especially when you said, if, 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 if this whole bridge building has to be done on my back, uh, because then I carry all the risk um, mm. and it can still not work. You know what I'm saying? You're like, well, damn, I mean, this is a, it's a double whammy, you know what I'm saying? And I think that's what is, we've seen play out in history but it also presents this, this, this dilemma of who do I even trust to build a bridge if it's not me, right? How can a bridge be built? I can't give that into the hands of somebody else. Hell, they built the bridge called the Middle Passage, right? They built, mm. that was the first bridge to this country, right? They built a bridge on the genocide of, of Native Americans. And so who do we trust to build this bridge? And, and that's why Whoa. much change won't be seen until I'm the one building, right? With the authority and the power to build, um, like our people did in, in Tulsa before they burned that down and Rosewood before they burned that down and so many other- Northwest Lincoln. Northwest Lincoln before they, you know what I'm saying? So, or before they, you know, put it in a modern context before they gentrify this or that. I mean, these are things that it presents these complexities that truly uh, need to be fleshed out even among people of color. So right, like where do we go from here and who's doing the building? And is that building coming together like King wanted in this genuine 
um, genuine um, equality. The genuine equality is basically saying, um, you know, we integrate as, uh, as one that we don't rule over each other, right? And I think King didn't live long enough to see his uh, dream sort of come true. But the failure of integration is that we integrate it, not like this, but like that, mm. right? And so say, I, now I gotta go to this school, but the, the principal is still white, right? There's not a black and white principal running this school. Like, you know, you, 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 you're allowed to have this job at the business, but management doesn't look like you or even a part of management to even look like you. And so we integrated like that. And it put us still at the whim of whatever the person at the top desires. And, and now we see the consequences of that. Um, but it was never intended to be that way. I think, you know, when, when you shared about, and I feel like you let me know when you got to rock and roll because I yeah, feel like I could go. But but to be honest, to me, this is like part one. I feel like we're gonna. <laughs> I want to keep. You know, I want to come back. There's just so much. You got. You've got so much story to tell and so much perspective to help shape health and wholeness, mm -hmm. um, for me, mm -hmm. but also for the people who will will hear this. And I believe you know our country. And I, I really appreciate who you are. But back to what you said. You said, um, in my mind you talked about the trust and who can I trust? Whose hands should it be in? As we navigate this space, th there is this issue of, it's not allyship or, or, but it's like, okay, I don't have a parachute. I'm tired of rowing this boat. Mm. I'm tired of like the movement being on my back. Yeah. I'm tired of carrying all the risks, like you said. Yeah. And at the same time, I don't know who to trust. And I, I guess when you started to share that, it made me feel like, yo, okay, so the, 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 it's definitely not, the, the answer is definitely not to just sit back and be like, yo, well, I can't do nothing. You for sure can't do nothing. They can't do nothing. And the system is, you know, effed already anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's so funny that I said effed. I, I've eaten so much soap in my life. <laughs> my mom made me eat so much soap y'all whoever's listening <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it next time you get the whole bomb um so you know we we've talked about building trust we've said that it's simple and terribly impossible hmm. Hmm. so how do we navigate back to your conversations with father greg boyle Back to that integration and now i'm thinking of dr king he's like okay well how did you do it and then when i think of that then i think of mlk i mean uh malcolm and i just keep on those those images in my mind they really it's the two sides it's not too well there's there's so many expressions of that same coin racial reconciliation racial equity racial justice and mlk had the at one that created some legal and some systemic change. Absolutely. But I think some of that came from some of the work Malcolm was doing on the side too. I think Malcolm's example amplified MLK's and, and vice versa. Maybe we wouldn't be where we were without either of them. I absolutely agree. And it's, 
even the scenario is still sad in a sense because you know if if the, the powers that be will talk to the less militant negro um and having malcolm x to be the sort of protagonist of um pushing things forward right we we, we usually don't hashtag malcolm on to um being responsible for the voting rights act of 1964-65 but i think when you um you have the yin and yang of that relationship um two powerful men uh one who's more about not necessarily unifying the country but unifying black people um as he should and and martin luther king um through his fate seeing that um we should unify as a kingdom mm. as a kingdom would have us unify um in the little that white people knew about Christianity at the time, uh, wanted to hear what King had to say. Um, and so, you know, as a side note, like, you know, I turned 39 a few weeks ago, I, I think. <laughs> but as a, you know, my wife gave me a, a, a day pass to go and, and, and do something on my birthday for myself. And I went to um, the Lincoln Memorial and I read Lincoln's first and second inaugural address and uh, on the steps before you even get to Lincoln's monument, you can, there's an inscription on the ground where uh, Martin Luther King gave the I Have a Dream speech, August uh, 28, uh, 1963. And so I just sat there I sat there and I just reflected on the fact that Malcolm X or Martin Luther King didn't make it past the age of 39. And and, and mm. not that I compare myself to any of those two. If I could do a fraction of, of, of what especially King had done. And what I mean by a fraction of what King had done is, is this ability to love your enemies. If I can do mm. a fraction of what King had done, um, that'd be a victory. But I, I thought about Lincoln and, and I thought about King and here are these two individuals in history, uh, bookends in their own history and our history who, and a lot of people don't wanna give credit because Lincoln did say some things that you definitely would say, well, he clearly was racist too. Um, but there's a change of heart in his second address. And I don't know if he found fate uh, but these two men who stand as bookends in, in our history wanted something for the country that the country didn't want for themselves. And there's something about when someone is forced to do something. It's something about um, the challenge when you have an idea and it's not the person who actually needs the idea. I always tell people, you know, uh, our allies, you know, my people's freedom wasn't your people's idea, right? And and um, and you look at King wanting to unite a country, Lincoln wanting to keep the union intact, so literally wanting to unite the states. Mm -hmm. 
there was a reason why people broke away from the states because they didn't want to be united. Uh, they didn't want to lose this, this, this peculiar institution of owning humans. Uh, um, and King uh, came at a time or, you know, the, the civil rights movement itself and so many people played a part in that. Um, there were people then and now who still think some people shouldn't have the right to vote, right? Who still think some people shouldn't have the right to equal access and, and asylum and, and so many other things, right? There's still those people. And they remain, and, and you know, the white moderate or liberal will try to minimize that group per se, but whenever people give me that, you know, oh, that's such a small part of society, I say, yeah, a small part of society that was able to elect a whole president. So you tell me how small <laughs> are they? You know, you don't look at cancer and the doctor don't say, well, that's just a small cancer you have. Um, mm -hmm. It'll be full blown at some point, right? And I think that, uh, again, we find ourselves at a place where what we want for the country is not what the country collectively wants for itself. And this, this, this struggle continues. And the question for me, when you talk about simple and impossible, at what point do we say, okay, I'm okay with you seceding to <laughs> your, for safety, right? I'm okay with you going here and I'm going there for safety reasons, uh, because there's always been this sacrifice. Abraham Lincoln paid for it with his life. King paid for it with his life. The sacrifice to coming together when it's not what we want. Brown versus Board of Education, uh, integrating schools when it's not white people's idea. Uh, uh, and if you see the way they've reacted and if you see the way fast forward 70 years, there's still segregated schools, right? I mean, so whenever things have come through being forced, for some reason, we end up back at square one. Um, mm especially when it comes to the ownership aspect, we end up back at square one, it's still their school, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, I think their school system, their <laughs> school district. Yes, yeah. uh, uh, their school board. Uh, Pasadena is definitely one of those cities historically that have, um, gosh, I mean- The discrepancy. The discrepancy but they they are the case study like literally supreme court like they are the case study of people being forced to do what they don't want to do and as a result um, white flight and private schools but then other schools were created other public School districts yes were created <laughs> yes in order for white people to have a space of their own mm. right and and yet that was never created. Uh, wow. Uh, and I think, well, when you say that, it makes me think back to King and I know I'm cutting you off, but it, no, you back to the force when it talks about the forcing piece. Yeah. That maybe that's the issue or one of the reasons. I think I'm just coming into awareness of this for me because I, I, I just cherish Malcolm and King so much. There are times where you got to, by any means necessary, no, you're not doing that no more, period. Period. Um, but there is the king approach back to the, the 
the long road or the long view and the the, the long arc of the moral universe. Yes. But it's his approach changed hearts. Yes. Some. Some. And 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 it created new allyship that created um more constituents that created legal change. Um, but I think that that to me, what I'm coming into awareness of is that, oh, he <laughs> it's funny because I don't want to say waking up to because I've, I've been woke, Harlan. But I, I think just that reality that, oh, his work changed hearts. Yeah. And that 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 work of heart changing is long. The work of heart changing is long. It's long, but then you have this, um, you have this suddenly suddenly you have this birth of, of a movement or of, of, of um, an opportunity where things can become accelerated. Mm. Um, for the civil rights movement, it was the Edmund Pettus Bridge, right? Uh, many white people were sitting on their couches watching live as people unarmed people were getting their head bashed in and, and ran over by horses. John Lewis is one of those people um, to get his skull cracked um, on that bridge. And, and the Edmund Pettus Bridge for us was uh, George Floyd. Floyd. Yeah. Uh, when, when white people who were, like you say, the liberal or the moderate, who wouldn't necessarily hate you but wouldn't necessarily intervene if someone else was either, right? Um, they got a chance to look evil in the eyes and um, Chauvin or whatever the police officer name was with his neck on, on George Floyd, his knee on the neck of George Floyd. And so they got a chance to look in the mirror and, and, and make a choice to say, well, I'm not him. <laughs> mm. And I need to do something so the world knows I'm not this dude. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, and I, there's people alive today who remember watching uh, people of color being beaten on Edmund Pettus Bridge. And I, I know some people who said that was the day I got into doing the work of reconciliation. Mm. And so, um, but again, off the backs of someone else, as we talked about. Yeah. Um, but yet movement nonetheless. And what do you do when this, the, what seems like this, this horrible thing happens, but what I call a miracle comes out of it where you yeah. see whiteness moved like an avalanche. Mm. Uh, Whoa. After George Floyd murdered. It and I think there's still, there's still, you know, there still isn't the systemic accountability that we need, which to me right. is remarkable um, as it relates to policing and, and justice and, and those who dole it out or serve justice and serve peace. Right. But right. I think, I think what you just said, it, it harkened back, or it, it just reminded me of what we said earlier about like the burden. And I, I think for me, again, and I don't know why, but just waking up and, and understanding, I think as, as a person of color, and I have my own particular expectations and hopes and things for me, so I'm not speaking for everybody, 
And this, it feels ignorant to say this and to, to be like, but I, I knew this to be true, but it feels like just, it will never, it, no matter how much trust you've earned and relocating you've done, back to solidarity, there right. is a point. So I guess I'm talking myself around. There is a point where your healing and my healing and your flourishing and your wholeness is tied to my wholeness mm-hmm. and it moves us forward and you, and you own that. But back to MLK and it will always be the oppressed because it will first, because it will always there it's survival. It's not a choice. It is not like I woke up to this. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go enter into that back to the flight, back to the parachute, back to privilege and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because for me, the urgency, you know, it's, it's my daughters for me. It's, and it, and that's interesting becoming a daddy. It's always my daughters, regardless of if it's me or them. It's like, I want to change the system for them. Absolutely. But that looks like things that directly will impact them. But it's also if the police system says like this and 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 I'm lost, hmm. that is for them also. My yeah, fear absolutely. is is that they would grow up without a father because right. of injustice. Right inflicted on me and yeah i mean gosh i i tell my closest white friends you know my kids are four two and one and they're all boys and and you know the customary talk that african-americans have to give their kids especially black boys to talk on, on, on how to survive and how to stay alive and not be gunned down by the police. Um, I said, I'm not giving my kids the talk. So mm. we got about 10 years to make some progress or I'm out, bro. Mm. I'm out. And, and it's about her, where you go, racism is everywhere. I, I just want to go somewhere where my kids won't be shot by the police. I'll take it. I'll take all the other risks. Mm. Um, and why I don't want to give my kids the talk because you know I'm not dissing families who who've had to. I mean, my mom always tells me to be safe. I'm I'm a grown man. She still tells me to be safe. Um, yeah. But it's to protect yourself, right? But I think what we're not conscious of in in wanting our uh, daughters and sons to be safe, you know, the Brianna Taylors of the world, wanting wanting them to be safe, what we, what we don't say is that um, it still plants seeds of inferiority. Yeah. Right? Wow. And although we're giving wow. the talk to our kids, we're telling them about a messed up world. Internalized yeah, I mean, inferiority. When you, to, when you have to say like, you gotta work twice as hard or 10 times as harder for the same job or the you know, you look at the person running the country, you like, well, damn. Um, it take much. Yeah, you just smack hard work in the face. Like you just, you know, you just, you crapped on all of those values, right? Um, but it still, it still communicates to me that, wow, so I'm really got to come up in this lopsided, um, this lopsided world. And, and, and that's aspects of, um, that privileged people will never see uh, until they step into those worlds somehow. Um, 
and most people experience it real quick when there's uh, interracial couples and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, those seeds of inferiority are still planted. And I think they can take roots subconsciously too. Um, and so I'm just, yeah, I'm not trying to do that at all. That's, that's really powerful, man. And it's funny, I mean, I think about the conversations I've had even with my daughter, who's mm -hmm. uh, eight going on 18. Wow. And, uh, you know, through this summer, and I remember we were, at the beginning of quarantine, we started like, I was like, yo, we gotta start doing some Bible studies or something, I've been a dad boy. Mm -hmm. But we started going through Exodus. Um, and there was this moment where I'm walking with her to the to a protest at City Hall mm -hmm. and back to the work and and the burden of maybe what it means to be somebody on this on the side and in the reality of love and justice, mm -hmm. trying to translate what's happening in a reality of discrimination, of mm -hmm. racism and injustice and trying to raise I get I feel myself getting emotional to raise this little warrior of love and justice and peace. Um, and, and the work that I'm having, you know, the, the work, and, and again, it is simple and it's terribly impossible, hmm. but the work of translating that human being isn't evil, but they acted a certain way. Mm. remember when Moses killed somebody it was an emotional reaction yeah he thought it was an, an act of of issuing justice right. but it it became a reactionary mm -hmm. work that is counter to the reality that we are beacons of and ambassadors for and I'm trying to communicate that to her and she's just looking up at her black dad mm. who's trying to give her some sort of faith right. in humanity beyond the badge and the uniform that it wears mm. and to try and give her that perspective. But I just think about that, that weight, but it is, that's the thing to me that it's not a weight I don't want. Mm. Now, I don't want to have to have that weight, right? but it transforms me right. back to what it means to be the ambassador. Right. You know, right. I, I, um, I think about what you said about coming from this long line of people who, who have done that. And on my runs, I do a few runs a week and I make sure that I stop and talk to Jackie and his brother out in front of city hall. <laughs> and that makes me emotional too, man. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They thank you. You are, you are, and I just, you are the, are an emblem of unbreakability mm. and boundary shattering. And I thank you for that. Yeah, and Jack, that, and that's within me and us. Jackie and Mac Robinson definitely uh, embody the fortitude of, um, you know, the struggle of a people to go from being um, subhuman to human um, and to, to still live every life with your dignity intact and in your own humanness intact to not stoop to the 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 level of the of the the animal that's projecting inhumanity onto you like it's it's uh i mean that what a people what a people that was my conversation with my daughter 
after the first presidential debate. Mm. She's watching Trump and Biden on the stage. And I'm watching, so I'm, and I'm sitting, the couch is here. All the little mamas are on the couch right here. Wifey mama's right here in the corner. And I'm kind of on the ottoman, like locked in. And I'm watching um, my youngest, or not my young, my oldest, and she's getting so riled up. And, and, uh, and she's like, stop yelling at him. You're big meanie, you stop, you're interrupting, you're interrupting. And I'm like, yo, and, and several times in that conversation, I'm saying, hey, baby girl, when you do that, you're doing the same thing he's doing on that stage. And, and those moments of, of raising a young warrior for love and, and wholeness and peace and justice and a different reality kingdom is like, you know, and I kept thinking about the, the, the proverb about, you know, when you, when you get into it with the fool, you know, it's like Biden did or anybody that you, we watch somebody getting into it with the fool, then you start looking real foolish yourself. Cause you, you have to engage, like they're not listening to reason. You were already doing that. And when this, when it turns up like that, then you start turning up and you look like them. Yeah. You end up fighting fire with fire, right? Foolishness with foolishness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's crazy. But I, I think that there's a piece of that, bro. Um, we're going to, we're talking again, bro. We got to talk again. Yes. We'll, we'll get after it. I, I want to, you know, we could get into all the things we could <laughs> get more into your story, more into some of the things you've been reading. Yeah. Um, yeah. those seven books you probably writing. <laughs> uh, thank you yeah. for being so generous, my brother. I appreciate you. Hey man, appreciate the work you're doing, man. Every, every, every bit of it helps, man. Every Come bit on. of it helps move us forward. And so I appreciate you taking this on. Yeah. All right, family. Well, we're going to come back again. We definitely talking to Harlan again. Um, but after all this, uh, you have to know uh, that we all are a part of the beloved community, that we all are beacons of love and justice on the scales that we have. And whether you have children and you're raising young beacons of love and unity um, and radical hospitality and celebration of, of diversity, um, whether you are in your office building and you can't stand, well, we ain't nobody in office buildings right now, right. whether you're in your zoom and you're like, my boss doesn't understand the weight of what's happening around me right. as a, as a person of, as a, whatever, whoever you are, right. some of the identities that you carry, the core of who you are is beloved that you are loved. And, and the core of that, that we all carry the image of God, the spark of divinity, divinity, that divine spark of love and light and life. And we are family. So know that when we say that you are loved and we are family. Much love, y'all. We're going to talk to you soon. And we for sure talking to Harlan again. So peace, y'all. Get up, everybody, and sing.